The Packers get the win, but man, we've got a lot to talk about. There's a ton of news in the world of college athletics. We'll throw in some Bucks. We'll throw in some Brewers, and that will be the 414 Sports Podcast presented by Soul Boxer for today. And it's coming up next. Let's roll. But instead, it's the 414 Sports Podcast, and it starts right now. Welcome in. This is the 414 Sports Podcast presented by Soul Boxer. I'm Don Wachillis. Thank you so much for logging in and joining us, whether you've done so on Spotify, Google, Apple, or any of the other five platforms that we currently reside on. We're so happy to have you on board. And if you would so be inclined, hit that subscribe button. We definitely would appreciate it. And our thanks, as always, to Soul Boxer. Crafting and bottling, bartender-quality cocktails you can enjoy anywhere. The bourbon old-fashioned, the brandy old-fashioned, the Manhattan, all crafted to remain true to their supper club origins. You can find Soul Boxer wherever you pick up your favorite libations. And I'm going to tell you, it will go a long way to help alleviate some of the stress, whether personally or making drinks for the family when they roll in during this holiday season, go ahead and pick yourself up some Soul Boxer. You will not be disappointed. So the Packers get a win on Sunday night. They beat the Bears 45-30. to And yes, Aaron Rodgers still owns the Chicago Bears. The Chicago Bears, let's face it, the Chicago Bears from top down, they've got certain pieces within that team that you could build upon, but the organization as a whole is a hot mess. So whatever we wanted to say going into this season or what we continually hear from the national media that the Packers will never do A, B, or C because they don't have an owner and they don't know who they go to, well, for those in the national media, you just don't understand the organizational makeup of the Green Bay Packers for you to make comments like that. But secondly, they have a system. You know, Bill Belichick gets a whole lot of credit, and deservingly so, as a head coach with the New England Patriots. But Bill Belichick also talks about having the framework for his team. Like every position, he has a prototype of what he wants to see in that position. And when somebody retires, leaves for free agency, gets traded, whatever the case may be, his goal is to find a replica almost of what he feels is that prototype for if it's a left tackle Uh, If it's a quarterback, you can't tell me Mac Jones and Tom Brady don't share some similarities at the stage Mac Jones is in his career. But he's got that prototype. He's got something in place. The Packers organizationally have a prototype of how they want to go about things. And it's worked. As much as we can get frustrated at times, it has worked. And you only need to look two hours to our south in Chicago to see what a hot mess the Chicago Bears are organizationally. And because they're such a hot mess, 
organizationally, it trickles down onto the field. Again, you've got pieces. You 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 know from the quarterback, the running back, a receiver, some guys on the defensive side of the ball, there are pieces on that Bears team that could absolutely be the foundation. Justin Fields could be the foundation for the Bears moving forward. But because at the top it is such a hot mess, I don't know if they're ever going to, under its current setup, be able to get the most out of what Justin Fields is. But with that, yes, apparently Aaron Rodgers, as I said, still owns the Chicago Bears, and they get the win. Now Aaron Rodgers says the toe is still hurting. It took a little bit of a setback after the game. He was hobbled a little bit. You know, the questions are abound here locally as far as the radio goes. Will he have surgery? Won't he have surgery? you got to feel as if he'll take a couple of uh, of shots every week to try and numb it and go with that until the end of the season and then deal with life afterwards as far as surgery goes. But Aaron Rodgers, how many times did we see on Sunday night it being brought up by Chris Collinsworth and Al Michaels how the man doesn't even plant? Like, he's backpedaling, his feet are off the ground, and he just flings the football around. Like, maybe one of us would fling one of those play school little tiny footballs with a two- or three-year-old in the living room. He can toss the rock around like like it's nothing where any one of us might have to take a 20-yard run to try and heave it 40 yards downfield. He's doing it with a flick of the wrist. So the toe being uncomfortable, yes. You would like to see the Packers get to a point where they lock up the number one seed and maybe he could rest again for a week, like coming off the bye week going into the Bear game. But with the Rams beating the Cardinals last night, that's even more plausible because now the Packers still own the number one seed. But with the Cardinals, the Rams, the Packers, Tampa Bay, it's going to be a tough it's going to be a tough road to try to win out. But if you do win out and you get that number one seed, at least then you'll get a week off prior to having to get yourself in playoff mode. But if somehow, if somehow the chips were to line up and you could do that one week in the regular season where you could give Rodgers a week off, that would be spectacular. But I think the storyline of the entire game was the Packers special teams. It was atrocious. It was terrible. And I don't know if it's scheme. I, I have no idea if it's it's something that's not being coached properly or if Matt LaFleur is not putting the necessary players on special teams that need be. We're heading down the stretch. If you don't think special teams, the way it was performed on Sunday, could hinder you in the playoffs – you're kind of sadly mistaken. Aaron Rodgers said it in his presser the other day, the other day, yesterday, and, and basically, you know, I, I heard uh, Rami Makhlouf on 1250 AM, the fan here in Milwaukee, you know, allude to the fact there, there, there's a dig there. He basically, and I'll paraphrase, was saying that, you know, if we were playing a good or a great team, the mistakes we made on special teams would have really come back to haunt us. <laughs> Keep poking the bear, no pun intended, Aaron Rodgers. But he's right. And if you look at the special teams in the first half, they give up a 97-yard punt return. 
they gave up another 34-yard punt return, excuse me, a 42-yard kickoff return, a 40-yard kick return. They kick off and knock it out of bounds. They muff a kickoff and head out of bounds and give the offense, meaning the Packers, the ball at the five. And that's just in the first half. So you give up a long kick return. You give up major yardage on punt and kick returns. You kick one out of bounds. And then your returner is back there as the ball is drifting out of bounds, catches it on the five, and runs out of bounds with it. So instead of getting the ball at the 40 or the 45, now you're going to have it at the five. Those type of mistakes can't be made. And then let's go towards the end of the game. The Bears inexplicably decided to kick a field goal being down as they were. But as much heat as Nagy has gotten for making that decision to go for the field goal and then the onside kick, they lost the game. And I think that's what Bear fans are stuck on. The onside kick worked. Now, two things. One, MVS. I I don't know why he's had historically such a problem with the hands. MVS, like he had two two-by-fours attached to his wrists as that ball hit him in the hands and then bounced right into the hands of the Chicago Bears coverage team. Fortunately for the Packers, the NFL has some bizarre rules, and this is one of them, that you cannot advance an onside kick. I know they put it in there, at least my belief is they put it in there, so that teams would not try and execute the onside kick as much because it's dangerous, and this is a league now that's really touting safety. But the way that ball bounced right into the hands of the Bears and the path that he had to run it into the end zone, if the rule wasn't as such, if they would have scored that touchdown and then gotten an opportunity to try an onside kick again, I don't know if Nagy would be crucified as much as he has been in the media, especially the Chicago media. For the Packers, fortunately, the defense was able to come onto the field. They gave up a first down, and then on fourth down, we get the tipped interception, game over. But special teams has been nothing short of an unbelievable challenge this year. Why? That, that's going to have to be for people who have better football minds than I to figure out, but it's got to get figured out coming down the stretch because special teams play a crucial, crucial role in teams being successful, especially in the playoffs and especially in the Super Bowl. I still would love to see why we felt the need to change the long snapper almost halfway through this season. Because once we change that long snapper, suddenly Ryan Longwell, one of the most consistent kickers in all of football, has lost all confidence in what he does. Fortunately, on Sunday, he made all the extra points. Didn't have to worry about, I mean, they were smack down in the middle. Usually the last few weeks you're taking a deep breath and hoping it doesn't ricochet off one of the goalposts. But the special teams under Maurice Drayton has got to be fixed. Has got to be fixed. And he has to be a competent coach. He wouldn't have gotten the title if he wasn't competent. So is it scheme? Is it 
the player personnel that he's been given to work with. Whatever the case may be, there should be a meeting on Lombardi Avenue inside a 1250 where they're sitting around a conference table looking at video going, this has to be fixed and has to be fixed this week. They'll take on the Baltimore Ravens here on Sunday, a team that's banged up and underperforming themselves on the road. It should be a win, but anytime we think something should be, hashtag Cardinals falling to the Rams who had nobody as far as starters go really on the field, that's when things get turned upside down. So we'll preview that Packer-Ravens game a little bit later in the week, but hopefully during that time we get some more news as to what the Packers plan on doing to kind of rectify some of the special teams' issues. All right, on the other side of this quick break, let's look at some things happening in the world of college athletics because we have the signing, the early signing period, coming as we're taping this podcast tomorrow. So a lot of schools, all the schools, will have roughly 80% of their roster already in place for next season based on the early signing period coming up tomorrow. Now you add all of the different players in the transfer portal, and this makes for a really, really crazy time in college football besides the bowl games and the college playoffs and everything in that area as well. Also, we'll take a quick dive into women's college volleyball as the Wisconsin women have found themselves in the Final Four, and we'll get to it right after this quick break. Welcome back in the 414 Sports Podcast as we slide over and talk a little college football right now as the world obviously has been turned upside down in the world of college football with all of the coaching changes that have taken place. Probably none more interesting than Brian Kelly heading to LSU who in a four-hour flight from Notre Dame down to LSU suddenly picked up one of the worst Southern accents in the history of mankind and constantly is out there utilizing it, shall we say, in trying to make himself endeared to the fans of LSU. Brian Kelly's a heck of a football coach. There's no doubt about it. He's a heck of a recruiter. He got some good ball players at Notre Dame. But I think coaches that win also have a level of authenticity. They are who they are. And I always felt like Brian Kelly was who he was when he was at Notre Dame. When I look at, you know, you look at Nick Saban, who's probably going to be considered the greatest college football coach ever. You know what Nick Saban is. There, there, there's no skirting around it, no trying to figure out, read between the lines. You know who Nick Saban is. And suddenly in this idea of Brian Kelly trying to endear himself to the LSU faithful, I don't find what he's doing authentic. And, and quite honestly, as anybody else, what I find to be authentic and what actually is does not necessarily have to be the same. He may be completely authentic with those in and around LSU. But what you see on social media, 
with this fake Southern accent. And and please don't tell me he's ingested, I'll say, the Southern accent. He's only been down there for a couple of weeks. If Brian Kelly, a year from now, is talking to somebody from ESPN, from Fox Sports, and he's got a little bit of a Southern draw, I got it. I got you. He's been down there for a while. You pick those things up. You don't think you are, but you do. But don't give me suddenly he's got this corny, pretentious, bad Southern accent after a four-hour flight from Notre Dame to LSU. So once people started moving, obviously, in the coaching realm, the other thing that happens is players want to move. And quite honestly, rightfully so. And it's one of the reasons why this week, and it's one of the reasons why you just you can't help but scratch your head. You get somebody like Mike Leach or Lane Kiffin, both in the SEC, complaining about the transfer portal. Do you guys understand that these young men have an opportunity, yes, now in today's world with the NIL to go someplace else and make a ton of money? And so I hear things like, well, it doesn't, it doesn't teach professionalism and it, the loyalty factor just isn't there. I'll go back to the aforementioned Brian Kelly, whose team at the time when he took the LSU job was in the potential hunt for a college football playoff spot. So much so that the college football playoff committee had to come out and essentially say, one of the criteria we're going to look at is if Notre Dame is going to be considered, the fact that their coach left is going to hinder them a little bit. Is it the sole factor? No. But if I got two teams that are tied, the fact that the coach left is going to be an issue for Notre Dame. And why did Brian Kelly leave? Excuse me. Well, he left one because LSU's in the SEC, probably the premier college football league in all of the land. Two, LSU backed up the Brinks truck and paid him a boatload of money. And three, had to leave when he did because of the early signing period, which, as I said earlier, will happen tomorrow as we're taping this podcast. So he's got to get out there and make sure he can get as many of those signed because roughly 80% of the team is going to be in place already by, I don't know, 8 o'clock tomorrow night. But yet, we don't talk about loyalty when it comes to Brian Kelly. Brian Kelly's a businessman. Brian Kelly made the right move for he and his family and his future and his professional career and all of that mess. And you know what? He probably did. But these kids now have the right to do that as well. When a coach can pick up and leave to go to LSU in this case, and I'm using Brian Kelly, and there are other coaches as well. He just happens to be the one on the forefront of my mind. When they pick up and leave, and you have an issue with the players picking up and leaving, but you don't have an issue with the coach leaving those players behind, take a look at the video when Brian Kelly left. He what? What was it, like a four-minute exit speech? And that room was silent when he left. 
And then take a look at those players when their new coach got inter- introduced and how ecstatic they were to know that somebody was going to be standing in front of them that had their back. Right or wrong, those players at Notre Dame felt like Brian Kelly deserted them and deserted them at a, a not-so-good time, for lack of a better way of saying it. And so to have people like Lane Kiffin and Mike Leach come out and talk about these players and the lack of loyalty, it, shut up. I'm just, that, that part I'm just done with. It, has it made their life miserable? I bet you it has. And I can't imagine. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw out some names here of people that are in the transfer portal. I can't imagine if they don't get picked up by another team what it would be like to try and go back to your former school because you do have that option to go back to your former school and go, yeah, you know, I know I threw myself out there in the portal. It's not working out the way I thought, and, you know, I kind of want to come back. As a coach, I would have a hard time with that. I, that part I completely understand. But it's the way of the world. It's the way of the world. So as a coach, if you don't need to fulfill everything within your contract, why does a player then have to suffer in anonymity because you have the right to go wherever you want and they don't? That's not the way of the world anymore. They got the right to bounce wherever they want to bounce. So in the portal, there are some names that are going to find themselves on other teams beginning next year that are going to make an immediate impact. You've got some teams right now who struggled this year who, with the addition of a couple of these ballplayers, are going to suddenly elevate themselves as far as wins go, which then means elevate themselves as far as talk in the top 25. Bo Nix, he's out at Auburn. Three-year starter at Auburn has decided to vacate. Zach Calzada has entered the transfer portal as well. The redshirt sophomore, maybe his biggest claim to fame is the fact that he is one of the few quarterbacks in the SEC to ever beat Alabama and did so this year. And Alabama finished the year ranked number one heading into the playoffs. And if you remember, Zach Elzada was underfilling at the time, was the second string quarterback, led a few drives, and then most notably the fact that he got he got lit up by the Alabama defense, had to go into the medical tent, comes out of the medical tent, and just kind of slumbers back onto the field and then leads Texas A.M. on another drive. So whoever picks him up will definitely elevate to wherever it is they're trying to get to. USC junior quarterback Kendon Slavis has entered. You, you can go right down the line. The number of players that are out there that have entered the portal is almost mind-numbing. But they're there, and that's the way of the world now. So when we look at guys being recruited – Coaches are now going to have to change their recruiting chatter, shall we say, a little bit, because you make these promises to these young men coming out of high school, and then things change. Hashtag Jalen Berger. Berger comes into Wisconsin thinking within a year or so he's going to be the man. He will be the number one running back. Braylon elevates his game. You get a transfer out of Clemson. And suddenly Jalen Berger's number three on the depth chart. And obviously that didn't go well, and he found himself in the transfer portal and now going to play for Michigan State. So when you look at the transfer portal, understand that I think 
Last year, by the end of the year, 30% of the players never were picked up, never actually transferred. That 30% of the players were just kind of left out and never, never land. So these players are making a gamble. They're taking a gamble, I should say. They're taking a risk. Doesn't always necessarily work. And yet, when you think about some of the players that have gone into the transfer portal, that have ended up in other situations and have found success at the college level, which has transformed them into a top draft pick, how do, you, how do you blame them? How do you blame them? And so, yes, I understand, Mike Leach, Lane Kiffin, your job has gotten a little bit harder, but I also understand you're making $7.5 million a year. And you could screw the world over, and somebody would buy you out for probably $12 million. So as much as I understand your job got harder, stop giving me the pity party because you're being very well compensated to handle these headaches. And granted, there are a ton outside of game planning, outside of making sure you hire the right staff, outside of just making sure your team as a whole, being college-age students, don't do something stupid. I mean, that's the role of a college student, right? It, it's part of the growing up process. Everybody does something eh, that you don't necessarily or think about doing when you're older. That's a heavy burden on a, on a football coach and their staff. But you're heavily compensated for those burdens. So before you start talking about loyalty and before you start throwing the money line into it, yeah, I could spend 20 minutes on this, but I won't. We're going to take a quick break so I can catch my breath. I want to touch on college volleyball as the Wisconsin women have made it to the final four once again. Let's take a peek at that after this break. Welcome back. 414 Sports Podcast presented by Soul Boxer, Soul Boxer Crafting and Bottling. Bartender quality cocktails you can enjoy anywhere, the bourbon old-fashioned, the brandy old-fashioned, the Manhattan all-crafted to remain true to their supper club origins. Find Soul Boxer wherever you pick up your favorite libations. And as I said earlier, Soul Boxer will definitely help you and your family during these during these holidays. All right, let's talk a little women's volleyball. And I'll be honest with you, something I know absolutely nothing about other than the picnic volleyball games you play in the summer. But I do know this. The women's team at the University of Wisconsin is something special. Kelly Sheffield, the head coach, has them back in the NCAA volleyball tournament in the Final Four for their third straight year after sweeping the Golden Gophers. It was, it was again, a, a testament to what that program has become. They will meet number one ranked and undefeated Louisville coming up here on Thursday. So we've got a program here in Wisconsin that has excelled tremendously. And volleyball has garnered some more attention over the years. And I think as time has gone with the Olympics, 
I think we've picked up a little speed as far as appreciating both on the men's and women's side, the athletic abilities of these volleyball players. And now at Wisconsin, head coach Kelly Sheffield has really built a program there that is to be reckoned with. And once again, they're in the final four of the NCAA tournament, taking on number one Louisville. I tell you, if they get past Louisville, Louisville, as I said, is undefeated. And some of the research I did going into today's podcast, it's going to be a heck of a test for the Badgers. But if the Badgers pass that test, to me, then looking at the other two and looking at how things have played out over the year, again, and I'm talking about reading up on it. I can't say I've sat down and watched a whole heck of a lot of college volleyball on the women's side, but based upon some of the research there, if if the women can get past Louisville, you might find a Badger team with an NCAA championship. Let's close some things out today after a quick break with a little Bucks talk. We'll save the Brewers for later in the week. Let's close out with a little bit of Bucks action here as we make our way towards the end of the podcast, and we'll get to it in just a sec. Let's close some things up today with a little Bucks talk as the Bucks, after falling to the Celtics 117 to 103, now make them in their last 10, 7 and 3. And so going into this season, as much as the season started off a little bit rocky with injuries, COVID, all of the things the Bucks have dealt with. You're looking at a team now that Dante DiVincenzo looks as if he'll be returning here shortly as they begin the workout process and trying to get him back into the fold. That would be another weapon that the Bucks could definitely use. You mix that up with the likes of Grayson Allen, who's played fairly decently since joining this team. This team is okay. We knew coming in that you had the likes of Drew Holiday and Chris Middleton, who not only won the NBA championship, but then immediately flew to Tokyo to win a gold medal, who played a number of extra games, including practices, they were going to have a little wear and tear on them. Giannis finished last year with a knee injury. We always forget to talk about that. So there was going to be rest kind of inserted at different points during the season to keep him as healthy as possible. With DiVincenzo coming back after surgery, I mean, there's all kinds of things that take place over the course of a year. There's all kinds of things that take place when you are the defending champion, when teams come in or you go to their place and everybody is game planning, in essence, to try to knock you off your pedestal to make a statement to the fan base and to the league that, listen, we belong. But the Bucs are okay. When you go 7-3 and three in your last 10, you're going to be okay. And you're going to have nights or afternoons like you had the other day against Boston, where, as I said, you lose 117 to 103. And if you read the Boston news, it was a blowout. And, and yes, there were players, namely Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, that lit it up for 61 combined. But it was just an off day. 
it's a road trip for the Bucks. It's the end of the road trip. You got to figure the guys are just ready to get back home. And many, many out there don't even feel like the NBA really gets going until Christmas. So when we get to Christmas Day and we get those games on Christmas Day, that's when many feel as if it is time now for the Bucks to really focus in and start getting ready to make that push. And if they can do so where they're healthy, look out. Look out. This could be back-to-back champions, something that this city has never seen before. Before we do exit, let's talk quickly about UW-Whitewater. UW-Whitewater, which lost on Saturday in the NCAA Division Three Finals, obviously with the loss, will not make it make it to the championship game, but have nothing to hang their heads out. When you finish the year 13-1, and one, when you make it to the semifinals and you lose against a team like Mary Harden Baylor, who is one of the upper echelon teams, just like Whitewater is, in Division Three, as much as I'm sure it sucks that you're not headed to the finals, I think as time will go, you'll be able to look back on this season and really appreciate the work that was done in having the type of season that the Warhawks did. So congratulations to UW-Whitewater on a fantastic season. We're sorry it came up a little bit short, but as I said, I think in time you'll learn to appreciate how good of a season you had. That'll do it for today on our 414 Sports Podcast presented by Soul Boxer. I'm Don Wachillis. Until next time. <laughs>